2 Peter. And then when we're done with uh, 2 Peter, we're going to go back into our verse-by-verse through the Bible. We paused the the through the Bible when COVID started, but we're going to get back to that, and we'll start the book of Leviticus when we finish uh, 2 Peter. So we'll be looking at the first uh, 15 verses this evening, and let's pause and ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Father, we do thank you for children's ministry. We don't want to take it for granted. Thank you for all the servants that are loving kids and serving kids, Lord. And kids really are the life of the church, and we're so thankful for them. And pray that you'd be gracious to this year, Juana. Lord, just give them an appetite for your word, an ability to understand it, a knowledge of your, your grace, God. May there be something special about this year of, of Awana. Would you protect it? And as we relaunch children's ministry, Lord, we pray that you would keep the kids safe and bless all of those that are, that are serving and just have your hand in the, in the midst of it. Would you bless junior high and high school as they meet? And God, would you speak to us tonight through your word? May this not be just something that we do out of habit, but we really want to draw near to you. Or would you strengthen us through your word? Would you give us a greater knowledge of you? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter is getting close to the end of his life. This is his last epistle. The theme of 2 Peter is to remember. He says, I want to stir you up in the way of a remembrance. Have you ever been stirred up in your remembrance of God? It's not something that you never knew about God. It's something that you knew of him. It's truth that you knew. But then God reminds you of that truth. And somewhere along the way, in the journey, we forgot. We lost sight of that particular truth. Peter, at the end of his life, he's not concerned with something new. He doesn't have something new to teach the church. He's reminding them of something they already know. Maybe you've had a mentor in your life, a parent, someone who's discipled you. And when you meet with them, they don't really tell you anything new. They remind you of things so that it really works into the fabric of your soul. They say the mother of all teachers is remembrance. A good teacher is going to bring something back to you over and over again. So we're called to this place of remembrance. In these first few paragraphs, the knowledge of God is mentioned over and over again. We're going to see tonight the importance of of the knowledge of God, to take full advantage of what God has given to us in his grace, to take full advantage of his power, that we're partakers in his divine nature, take full advantage of his promises. Sometimes we don't take advantage of the opportunities that we've been given. Have you ever had a, a gift card that sat in the drawer and you never utilized it or you used half of it. You, you didn't take full advantage of it. Maybe someone had a scholarship to college. Oftentimes when I'm sitting down with someone and they're telling me their, their life story, they say, I had an opportunity to go to college. I, I had this scholarship and some things got in the way and I, I never took full advantage of that opportunity. We want to take full advantage of what the Lord has given to us and what the Lord has uh, provided for us. So verse 1 of 2 Peter, Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How would you introduce yourself if you were to put a few words with your name to give you a, a description? 
This is what we would know today to be our social media profile. Isn't that always kind of hard? As you're setting up a social media account, you've got those few descriptions of yourself. And here, it's Simon Peter. If you look back to 1 Peter chapter 1, he simply introduces himself as Peter. But here, at the end of his life, he reminds us that he's Simon Peter. His given name by his parents was Simon, but Jesus called him Peter. Simon means shifting sand. Peter means rock. It speaks of the transformation that Jesus did in his life. By nature, Peter seemed to be up and down. He was a man of passion, great highs, but also deep lows. But as he met Christ and walked with Christ and knew the grace of God, he became a rock. As he spent time with the rock, he became a rock. But he never forgot the transformation that God had done in his life. If you've noticed, have you studied the scripture, God likes to rename people. He likes to change people's names from Saul to Paul, from Jacob to Israel, from Abram to Abraham, because it speaks of the work that he's done in their life, the, the change of character. We can relate with Simon Peter because there's a part of us that's shifting sand, but God is transforming us. He's changing us into something of permanence. So Simon Peter is a bondservant, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. A bondservant is a slave, a slave by choice. Going back to the Old Testament, Hebrews were to release their fellow Hebrew slaves after six years. That slave then could choose to return and serve the master because the master was so kind and good and benevolent, a slave by by choice. And at that point, they would get their left ear pierced, symbolizing that they were a slave by choice. Would we see ourselves as a slave to Christ? Would we find our identity in being surrendered to Christ? The, The Christian life flows out of surrender to him. How do we know if we're a servant, a slave of Christ, When people treat us like one, (laughs) when we're taken from granted, when we don't get the thank you or the attaboy, but do we find identity in that? Do we picture that? Have we squared that away with the Lord that our life belongs to him? God, I'm your slave. I'm your bondservant. But also, Peter is not ashamed of the fact that he's an apostle. Apostle means to be sent out. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's been given this calling. He's been given this authority from from the Lord. I don't think that he's declaring this out of arrogance. He's declaring this out of obedience. This is who the Lord has has made me to be. But the bondservant, the slave, came before the apostle. But he doesn't shrink back from the fact that God had called him to be an apostle. To those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who have obtained a like precious faith. This speaks of God's work in our lives. How did we obtain faith? Well, the Lord pursued us. The Lord was gracious to us. The Lord gave us the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We've obtained precious faith. I appreciate that Peter says, your precious faith is like ours. It's of the same value. Peter's not seeing himself of having greater faith than the church that he is writing to. And that's true for all of us. We have like precious faith. It's not that some have 
this elevated faith, many would want to make Peter and put him on a pope-like status, but Peter wouldn't want that. Peter is declaring, hey, I'm, I'm one of you guys, and our faith is of, of the same value. We trust Christ. There's equal footing at the foot of the cross. The word precious, it speaks of value or our honor, saying our, our faith is so dear to us. Through faith in Christ, what he's done for us, we're saved. So is there anything that's more valuable than our faith in the Lord? Through that faith, we're the children of God. Through that faith, we've received the free gift of of eternal life, and it's so valuable to us. You can't put a price tag on it. You really can't even describe it with words because it brings us into relationship with the living God. So he's writing to believers. I like the end of verse 1. It says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So our faith is based in, built on, the righteousness of Christ. We're robed in the righteousness of Christ. It's his righteousness that paid the price for our sins. We're clothed in his righteousness. We're forgiven by by him, the righteousness of Jesus. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace and peace have been called the Siamese twins of the New Testament. You'll find them often linked together in Peter's introduction, but also Paul's introduction. Never do we see peace coming before grace. Grace is always the older brother, the older statesman. Because when we know the grace of God, the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God, it brings us into peace with God. We're able to enjoy the peace of God. But if our relationship with God is not based on grace, we're not going to experience peace. If we're trying to earn or deserve God's favor, if we really don't believe that we have a loving Father who accepts us through Jesus Christ, we're always going to be striving, always going to be trying to earn his, His approval, and there won't be peace in our lives. I love what Peter adds to this, and he says, I want God's grace, and I want God's peace to be multiplied to you. He's writing to believers that know grace and know peace, but he wants them to experience it in an exponential way, in a four times four, in a five times five. Man, let's just go for it, ten times ten, in a huge way to experience the the, the grace of God. So, What's grace? It's getting what we don't deserve. It's punching somebody in the face and they give you a $100 bill in return. We never run out of a need for grace. Amen? If you've walked with the Lord, you still need God's grace. If you don't know Christ your Savior and you think about surrendering to Him, you need God's grace. Our, Our sin, trials, difficulties all bring us to a place where, Lord, I need your unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. God, if you would work in my life and my family through your grace, and God's ready to pour out grace. Do you need a fresh outpouring of God's grace in your life? (laughs) Does God's grace need to be multiplied? Well, you're in the right place because God loves to pour out grace if we'll rely upon it. Then that will result in peace. There seems to be an absence of peace in our lives right now. There's a lot that 
is getting us worried and a lot that's getting us frustrated. Wouldn't it be great to go to bed tonight in the peace of God? To know, man, I have peace with the Lord. I'm the child of God. He's reigning over my circumstances. I have a peace that surpasses my understanding, that would guard my heart and and my mind. May be multiplied to you the way that we are able to connect with and experience the grace of God is through the knowledge of Jesus. As we understand who Jesus is, a head knowledge, but a working knowledge, something that is real to us when we understand Jesus in, in a greater way, the result in is grace and peace is multiplied in our lives. Isn't that the case when you find yourselves reading the Gospels and you go, wow, Jesus is so gracious. He's so kind. He's so good. Then there's this peace of God that flows into your life. So in knowing him in a greater way, we walk through life, and as we're walking through life, we get a, a greater knowledge of Jesus, then the result is grace and peace. So the avenue that we experience grace and peace is through the knowledge of Christ. So here's what's been given to us in the grace of God. And his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By his glory, by his virtue. So divine power has been given to us. We want to take advantage of this divine power that he has given to us. This is quite the promise that divine power, power that can only come from God, has been given to us for all things for life and godliness. Let's just say you have a child that's a senior in high school and they graduate high school and you're so proud of them and and you decide to buy them a brand new vehicle. Now, that may not be the best decision to do, but you just decide to do it. So you bring home this 2021 vehicle of their choice, park it in the driveway, and they go, hey, Dad, could you provide a little bit of gas money? You're like, what do you mean, gas money? I'm not giving you any gas money. I bought you the car. You go fill it up. Probably not. You provided the car, It's this brand new gift. You're probably going to fill it up with the gas. God has provided salvation through his son. Forgiveness of sin. How would he not with his son, in his son, provide the power that's necessary for this life of godliness? He's given us that power through the death and the resurrection of Christ. Through the spirit of God living inside of us. I find this verse to be convicting. Why? Because when I sin as a believer, it's not because there's a lack of power. The power is there. I'm not accessing it. The power is there. I'm not relying upon it. I'm trying to do it in my own strength instead of relying upon the Spirit of God. So God has already given this to us. And so for us to be able to take advantage of it, to access it, Lord, I don't have the power in and of myself, but you've given me the power, so I'm trusting in you. Desiring to walk in the Spirit and allow the Spirit of God to lead me. He's given us everything for life and godliness. Sometimes when we struggle with a particular sin for years, which we do, and this sin becomes so dominating in our lives, even as a believer, we feel like there's no way out. (laughs) 
I'm just destined to continue to lose my temper. I'm destined to continue to fail in lust. This bitterness is so deep inside of me, I can't even imagine living outside of this bitterness. But God says, I've given you everything. I've given you everything for life and godliness. So through him, there is power to break those patterns. There's power to be able to to live differently because he's called us by his glory. He's called us by his virtue, which speaks of his moral character, his moral excellence, his holiness. And so it's the one who's calling us that's so glorious. It's the one who's calling us that's so powerful that enables us to have victory in the Christian life. In God's grace, we have divine power, but also divine promises, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. God has given us these timeless promises of his word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will endure forever. It's how timeless the the word of God is. The faithful promises of God have seen past generations through many difficulties. Generations throughout history have been able to rely upon the promises of God, and God has been faithful to those promises. God's not one who lies. God's not one who changes his mind. God's not one who changes his word. His word has remained timeless. Think of the vast nature of the promises of God. God has promised to love us, Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's promise is that Jesus will always be with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We're never going to go through this life alone. The promises of God are eternal life to those who believe. We're racing towards heaven. We're, we're closer to heaven than we've, we've ever been before. The list goes on and on of the vastness and the greatness of, of God's promises. In the middle of April, I found myself in the hospital, as many of you know, for a couple of days. And it was the middle of COVID, and it was pretty serious for me at the time. Amber wasn't able to go into the hospital with me, dropped me off in the emergency room, and I really didn't know what was ahead of me for the next uh, couple of days. And as I was laying there, even in the emergency room, and then got to my hospital room, you could see the nervousness in the doctors, whether or not they even wanted to admit me, but they couldn't send me home because of the risk of COVID. And so I get up to my room, and the promises of God just began to flood into my heart and my mind in a way that only the Holy Spirit could do. I was sick. I was weak. I was alone. My family couldn't be with me. My friends couldn't be with me. But the Holy Spirit was with me, And the Holy Spirit was bringing back to mind promises that the outward man perishes, but the inward man is renewed day by day. That there's the peace of God that could guard my heart and mind. That all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. And laying there at night, 
not being able to sleep and just feeling the promises of God wash over my soul. Just, just wash me and speak to me and encourage me. And the last day in the hospital, it was two nights, three days, and I knew I was going to get discharged. I wanted to write down some of the promises that the Lord had put on my heart specifically because they were such a, a comfort to me. And I don't want to go back. You know, I, I didn't want to be there. And, but I am so thankful for that time with the Lord and, and the promises of God. You know, I don't know what it would be like to go through something like that apart from the promises of God, apart from the presence of God. And we have such a gift that's been given to us with the promises of God. And it comes to the very character and nature of our Father, right? When you speak with your kids and in love, you tell your kids, you know, I've got this. I'm going to take care of this. You're going to do it, right? To the best of your ability. How much more so with our Heavenly Father? Is He going to be faithful to His Word, faithful to, to His promises? One of the best purchases that you could make on Amazon is a Bible promise book. You can search it on Amazon. It'll probably cost you three or three or four dollars. But it goes through and gives to you the promises of God. And to get that and say, I'm trusting the promises of God. Lord, you are going to be faithful to your word, and your promises are precious. Jesus, as he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he held on to the word of God. He gives us an example of the importance of, of the power of the word of God. If you're having a difficulty sleeping at night, think through and meditate upon the promises of God. Go to bed reading God's word. Memorize a few scriptures to pray about when you're lying in bed. If, if you wake up in the morning in discouragement, rely upon the promises of God. Take that discouragement and turn it towards the promises of God. This is what I know to be true. This is my compass, is what the Word of God says, not my emotions. Our emotions are so fickle. One day we can be on cloud nine, the next day we're in the depths of despair. That can happen in the same day. And allow the Word of God to, to anchor you. Allow the Word of God to go deep with, in, in your soul. The promises of God. Take full advantage. We continue on that through these, through the promises of God, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Take full advantage of divine nature. So we have, in God's grace, we have divine power, we have divine promises, but we are partakers of his divine nature. This, this is pretty mind-blowing, isn't it? Here we are, fallen sinners, but because God's grace is so deep and so rich, we actually get to be partakers of his nature. We get to, to share in his nature. And we've escaped the corruption of this world that's through lust. Why is the world decaying? Why is the world coming unraveled at the seams? It's because of lust. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We are getting a display of the corruption of the world system right now, aren't we? On steroids, being amplified. You don't have to be a genius to look and say, man, the world is broken, 
And thankfully, because of God's grace, he's taken us out of this stream of destruction and connected us to his divine nature. Connected us in relationship with him. I'm sure you've tried to imagine sometimes, what would my life like be without, what would my life be like without Jesus? Like, I can be a real jerk with Jesus, just think about how bad I'd be without Jesus, right? We're able to say, God, thank you so much that you have rescued me out of the lust of this world, the corruption of this world, and brought me into your divine nature. In verse 5, but also for this reason, giving all diligence. So now we're challenged by Peter. Peter is an exhorter. He's a coach, and he's saying, this is what's been given to you by God's grace, but now steward it. But now give diligence to this. Give careful attention to these things. This section of scripture has been referred to as a golden chain. If you think of a chain being linked together, that we have our faith that saves us, and then in diligence, by God's grace, we add to that these characteristics. Not that we're saved by works, but we're growing in our relationship with God. And as we grow in our relationship with God, these attributes are are coming alongside of our faith. So add to your faith virtue. The word add has the idea of chorus or supply with. So they're, they're in chorus. So with faith, add virtue. It's in chorus with, with virtue. It's in chorus with, with faith. So the word virtue is moral excellence or excellence of, of character. These build, I think that they're in the scripture in this order for a particular reason. It starts with faith that saves us by God's grace. And then we grow and we add to that faith with diligence, virtue, character matters. Character matters to the Lord. We get to worship the Lord in our our character, in the decisions that we make, the way that we treat each other, our integrity before the Lord. So add to faith, moral excellence. And then to virtue, knowledge. I think a lot of times we would want to put knowledge before virtue. We would want to put knowledge before character. And knowledge is so important. We've already seen this in this text. It's so important to to know about, about the Lord. But character allows us to know God in a greater way. See, because Jesus is light, and as we walk in the light, then we're going to be able to know him in a greater way. So, so God says, start with faith, then start walking in integrity, and then add to that knowledge, the next link on the chain. The idea of knowledge here is through investigation. To know the Lord by investigating, investigating him through his word. It's the greatest discipline that we can develop in our lives is to spend time in God's word. If you're currently doing it, keep doing it. If this is new to you, man, ask that the Lord would give you the discipline and the appetite to be able to study God's word and investigate him. But also investigate him through his creation. We're blessed with wildlife right here in Colorado Springs. I was taking a a quick walk to kind of get some fresh air this this afternoon, stop looking at the four walls of my, my office. And I saw a deer right by the the church. And as I was coming back, I see this bunny that's kind of tucked in the foundation of of the church and some of the rocks. And as I was observing this, 
what came to mind is, man, God's taking care of the deer and he's taking care of the bunnies. How much more so is he going to take care of us? And as we are going through your life, you can observe things and observe God's care through creation. So we're investigating, we're paying careful attention to the word of God and to the things around us and growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Growing in the knowledge of the Lord is so exciting, isn't it? When you learn something new about the Lord or are reminded about a truth of who he is, my relationship with the Lord feels somewhat stagnant if I'm not learning new things about him. In marriage, it's this way, right? You can be married to one another for many, many years, but you're still learning new things about each other, and it's exciting. New things about each other's past, new things about each other's personality, new things about each other's fears and desires for the future— We're always able to learn new things about the Lord. Never think that you've reached the ceiling of the knowledge of God. I've got God figured out. I've read the book of Romans. I've got that figured out. I've studied 2 Peter. I've got that figured out. No, there's always so much more to to know about the Lord. And then in this golden chain to knowledge, self-control. Without self-control, that knowledge cannot be appropriately used. That knowledge of God will not be appropriately applied without self-control. And this is a discipline to allow the Lord to develop us in this area of self-control. This is just a good time to be quiet. <laughs> I'm going to lose my temper and sin in my anger. This is a good time to go for, for a walk. Self-control. Allowing the Spirit to lead us in self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance has been described as long obedience in the right direction. Continuing on in what the Lord has has called us to do. Patient obedience. Persevere. This might be exactly where you find yourself tonight. You feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like giving up. But the Lord's calling us to persevere. We don't know what the Lord has in store. We don't know what's right around the corner. God's continuing to write the story to be able to get up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, as long as you give me breath and give me life, I'm going to keep going. Maybe it's because of our own mistakes and our own sin that we feel like giving up. It's hard to persevere after we've failed. It takes perseverance to go back to the Lord and allow him to pick you up and, and move forward. Perseverance. I, I think Satan, our enemy, the enemy to our souls, he, he wants to get us to the place where we give up. He wants to get us to the place where we stop persevering. Joseph in the book of Genesis was sold as a slave by his brothers because they hated him so much. He was falsely accused of rape and thrown in prison. He was forgotten by the butler and the baker after he interpreted their dreams for, for two years. But he kept persevering. His spirit wasn't destroyed. He kept serving the Lord in the context that he was in, and God raised him up to be the second in command to Pharaoh. To see Egypt through a time of prosperity and then famine, and here comes his brothers needing food. And Joseph was able to look at his brothers and say, what you meant for evil, what you did to me was evil. When you guys sold me as a slave... As a young man, that was evil, but God meant it for good. How was he able to come to that anthem? Through perseverance, 
through enduring as a slave, enduring as a prisoner, doing one difficult day at a time. How was the wall built around the temple in the book of Nehemiah? One brick at a time. That's how they built the wall. It took perseverance, took struggle. And there's those times. And so may God strengthen us to persevere. To perseverance, godliness, Christ-like character. To godliness, brotherly kindness. Isn't there something wonderful about family? Family's wonderful. That kindness that is displayed in family. And we are to display that to one another, not just in our families, but to live life with brotherly type of kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. This is the last link on the golden chain is love. The greatest of these is love, is to continue to be able to grow in love. As I read through this list, I feel like a failure. (laughs) When you read through this, you go, wow, I've got so much room to grow. But that's all right. To say, okay, Lord, you've challenged me in these areas to grow in these things. So I want to give diligence to these things and allow you to work these things into my life. Verse 8 is an awesome promise. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the way that we live our lives affects our knowledge of the Lord. And the promise here is, if these attributes are a part of your character, then you're never going to be unbarren or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord. You're always going to continue to grow in in the knowledge of the Lord. So the choices that we make in, in our decisions, it does affect our knowledge of the Lord. It goes back to that thing that he's light. And so if we want to have fellowship with the light, we walk in in the light. Verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So if we don't see the importance of this golden chain, then we're short-sighted, we're spiritually blinded, and we've forgotten that God's forgiven us of our sins. Part of understanding that he has forgiven us of our sins by his grace is this desire for, for godly character, a response to his grace. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. These characteristics keep us from falling. And don't think that we'll never fall, because Peter fell, didn't he? He denied the Lord three times. He He knew the pain of a spiritual fall. We know the pain of a spiritual fall. But there is this goal of victorious Christian living where if these characteristics are part of our lives, then we're not in this place where we're falling. You know, a spiritual fall hurts the heart of God. It hurts the ones we love. It hurts us. And so that's the the value of these characteristics. It's a protection that keeps us from falling. And when we do fall, remember, the Lord picks us up and he, he moves us forward. Verse 11, for so an entrance, entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter's challenging us to run well as we enter into eternal life that we're finishing the race strong. Verse 12, for this reason, I will not neglect 
to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Peter says, I know you know this. I know that you're established in this. You're doing well in these truths, but I'm going to remind you of them. Look at the grace of God. You have divine power given to you. You've got divine promises. You have access to his divine nature. It's a fellowship with him. But you need to grow. You need to grow in virtue. You need to grow in knowledge. You need to grow in self-control and perseverance and brotherly kindness and love. Keep aspiring to growth. And he's reminding and stirring up through this reminder. Throughout scripture, God has a theme that we wouldn't forget. The children of Israel were forgetful and they, they forgot what God had done for them. They, they put the knowledge and the understanding of God out of, of their minds. Some things that God gives to us to help us remember, one is memorials. Memorials, to, to try to take something physical that's gonna help remind you of a time of God's faithfulness in your life. You know, it may be the actual memorial funeral pamphlet that you take of a loved one, right? And that memorial of their lives reminds you of of God's faithfulness. It may be a particular bill that you never thought you'd be able to pay, but God provided the money. Hold on to that statement. Hold on to that email as a memorial of what God had done for you. You know, take a picture. It's, it's something physical. When the children of Israel crossed over into the promised land, they were to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River to be something that they could see to be a memorial of God's faithfulness because we forget. It's easy to forget what, what God has done. Communion is remembrance. Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. Jesus doesn't want us to lose sight of the main thing, and that's his love for us displayed upon the cross. He knows that we would lose the message. He knows that we would put other things in that place. So he says, come and do this often. Tonight, as we take communion, we're doing this in remembrance of of him. At home, those listening online, you can take communion in your home and remember what, what Christ has done. The children of Israel forgot the Lord. This is Isaiah 51, verse 13. And you forgot the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? You forgot the Lord, your maker. We're reminded. Verse 13, yes, I think it right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. Have you ever remembered something? And then you're stirred up because of it. I remember in our school of ministry, there was 25 of us guys or so living in a a four-bedroom house, and the church also owned a camp called Camp Bradley over on the Oregon coast. And we were over at Camp Bradley working on some, some cabins, and our pastor, Jim Wright, I'll never forget it, someone comes to him and he says, your wife's called you. She's, she's on, on the phone. And this was before everybody had cell phones, so he runs off to the landline of the camp, 
And he comes back in a panic, and he's like, guys, I got to go. See you, bye. And he bolted and drove the two or three hours back to Medford, Oregon. And we come to find out he forgot his wife's birthday. <laughs> and it was his wife who called him and was like, you know, Jim, it, it's my birthday today. So he was stirred by the way of remembrance, right? <laughs> when you remember something that you've forgotten, it, it can be quite stirring, on several occasions, I've gotten here to work and left my laptop at home. I've got this, pretty much it's a man purse. I'll just admit it. It's kind of a man purse. And I put my computer in it and I'll have it here and then take it home so I can do some work at home and go, go back and forth. And it's always this stirring of like, oh no, I forgot my computer. I got to go home and get it. And my, my day has been interrupted. And so Peter wants this kind of stirring to take place. He wants to remind them of the knowledge of God in such a way that it would stir them to action. Verse 14, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. This is why we know that Peter's at the end of his life. That Peter's facing martyrdom and being killed for his love for Christ. In John 21, Jesus spoke to him about how he would die. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And he realizes that he's about ready to die. And before he dies, this letter is upon his heart. It's his last words. It's, it's his parting words. And he wants the church to be stirred in the way of remembrance. I, I love the way that Peter refers to his body simply as a tent. This is how Peter saw his life. I'm just on a big camping trip, and I'm ready to put off this tent, and I'm going to forever be with the Lord. I'm going to receive this glorified body. What kind of perspective do you have when you go camping? Hopefully you've had that experience to, to go tent camping and sleep on God's given earth, right? You go, man, this is really uncomfortable, but it's only for a few days. Most people do not tent camp more than two or three days because you smart, start smelling really bad, right? I'm not getting good sleep, and this was fun for a couple of days, but this is just temporary. This is just a camping trip. So I know I'm going to my permanent dwelling. I'm going to my house that has a shower and a nice coffee pot and a bed that's so good to sleep in. And then eventually you get to the point where you're like, I'm not camping again. I don't care if people ridicule me. I've been there. I've done that, right? Like, I'm, I'm just going to stay in my permanent dwelling. This is how we need to see life. It's just temporary. These bodies are just tents until we receive our permanent dwelling. This body was made to wear out. It was made to, to get weak and ultimately be buried and then raised up in the resurrection to, to everlasting life. Verse 15, moreover, I'll be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter knows that this letter is going to live on and this reminder is going to continue to them even after he's gone home to be with the Lord. So three questions. The first is, am I taking advantage of what God has freely offered? God's freely offered his divine power, his promises, his divine nature, but am I taking full advantage of it? Am I adding to my faith in this golden chain? Am I giving diligence to, to grow in virtue and 
to grow in knowledge and grow in self-control? Am I adding to my faith? And then am I willing to receive a reminder? Do we need a phone call that says, hey, it's your spouse's birthday? Hey, knucklehead, it's your spouse's birthday, right? Do we need that reminder from the Lord like, hey, this is my truth. And we do lose sight of God's truth. And we do forget God's truth. And in confusion and in difficulty, it's easy to lose our way and so important to be reminded. And we need that reminder that comes from the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace. And like Peter, we pray that grace and peace would be multiplied. It seems like it's a time where there's an absence of grace and an absence of peace. And for each of us, we just acknowledge how broken we are, how weak we are, how lost we are apart from you. But we believe that you are the God of grace. So would you pour out grace in our lives in areas of sin, in areas of weakness, in areas of doubt, areas where we need answers and clarity, God, would you be gracious to us? And because of that, may there be peace that flows into our lives, a peace that surpasses understanding. Holy Spirit, right now, would you bring to mind promises of God? Allow the Spirit of God to prompt on you promises from from his word. Let's wait and See what the Lord would put on our hearts, specific verses that he would give to us. He may be putting a reference into your mind. He may be speaking a truth from his word over your soul, but hold on to that promise. We receive that from you, God. We receive that from you, Father. Lord, as we take communion tonight, We're reminded of your love that you gave your only begotten son for us. May this be a rich time of remembrance. We celebrate your death until you come. We believe in faith that you're gonna return for your church. We love you in Jesus' name.